Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Sekou Smith here in New York City. My main man, Clipper Daryl, I mean, uh, John Schumann, excuse me, in New Jersey, right across the water from me here. Our John Hartzell, our producer, behind the glass in Atlanta. Shoe, I don't even know why we waste time on anything else. What is going on? Is this the Twilight Zone? I thought you were kidding around when you said you had the Clippers at number one in this week's NBA.com power rankings, and now I find out it's true. What am I missing? This was one of the first weeks in a long, long, long time, probably the first week in a long time, where I was basically had gotten through writing about every team and then started to say, all right, I got to put them in some sort of order and basically had no idea who was going to be number one because I I just, there was no, like, I'll, I'll go over last week's top five. Okay. Number one last week was Toronto. They lost three straight. New Orleans, Detroit at Boston, and then they beat the Bulls. Number two last week was Portland. They lost to the Lakers and to the Wolves and then beat the Wizards. Number three last week was Milwaukee. They lost at home to Memphis and beat the Bulls. Number four last week was Golden State. They lost. They went 0-3 in Texas. Number five last week was Denver. They've lost five of their last six. And then number six last week was the Los Angeles Clippers. And one of my favorite favorite teams to watch and and they have won four straight games so they beat the bucks and the warriors at home and the spurs at home so they beat two of the five teams that i've mentioned already and then uh they started a road trip and by coming back from i want to say 15 16 something like that down in brooklyn and coming back to win so what the heck i didn't know what to do so clippers are your number one team for this week And the great thing, I say it every week, the great thing about power rankings is that you get to try again the next week and put them in order again. And one of these weeks, I'll get it all right, but whatever. I have a feeling, Shu, that this is more about a certain player on the Clippers roster who you adore and have a shrine in your in your house to in this I have a, I, there's a few players on the Clippers roster <laughs> that I adore right now, actually. Um you know, Milos is barely playing. My man Milos is barely playing. Right. But I have become a, a big uh, Montrez Harrell fan over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite guy who favorite dude with red hair and who, yeah, who who barely gets the ri- the ball over the rim when he dunks, but then dunks with incredible force and veracity. So I like watching Montrez Harrell. He's maybe is he the best backup center in the league right now? I'm not sure, but maybe be close. Maybe. And then Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean, this dude is really good. You know, the rookie came in and and came in ready to play. He's been starting with uh, who's out? Avery Bradley has been out. And uh, Gilgis Alexander has gone and uh, jumped into the starting lineup. I don't know if he'll ever leave the starting lineup now because he's really good. And although they close with him, you know, they, they, they go to, you know, Lou Williams is obviously the, the sixth man and obviously their closer. Right. And they've been, you know, they've won a lot of close games. They've won their last five games that were within five points in the last five minutes. And their closers are, are Williams and, and Gilgis Alexander. And they both hit some big shots last week in a couple of those close wins. It's a fun team. I mean, I like watching them. And like I said, the rankings, I've said this all, the rankings don't matter. So whatever, why not have a little bit of fun with it? Jump the Clippers up there. You know, if you go by point 
point differential, yeah, the Bucks are still number one. If you go by quality wins, probably the Blazers are number one. The Raptors have the best record in the league. The Warriors are the title favorites, right? But you can't go wrong with picking any of those teams to be number one. So sure, sure. Aside from from making Clipper Daryl's Thanksgiving with <laughs> this list on the power rankings, uh, is this Doc Rivers' finest stretch as a coach? You think you know with the Clippers in terms of what they've lost over the last season and a half, couple seasons. And, and what he's done to keep them competitive and in the mix, you know, in the Western Conference playoff hunt like they are right now. I mean, this this is unheard of for a team to lose players the caliber of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan even. But then a lot of the other role players, you know, veterans, Jamal Crawford, you go down the list. Redick. You know, I mean, they had all these different – this assortment of players that was supposed to make them a contender – they're all gone, yep. and, and they're rolling like this. I think it's impressive in looking back and what they've lost, but also impressive in looking forward in that this is kind of a transition year for them and that a bunch of these guys that they have on the roster now are on expiring deals. You know, like a bunch of these veterans are on the last year of their contract – and with that in mind, they could all be going for theirs and, you know, not have that much cohesion because they're worried about their own agendas. So I think it's impressive in that sense, too, in that he's gotten a guy, a bunch of guys that may not be together for long to play together and to play and to play well. I mean, again, we know the Clippers have their eye on, on next summer and, and trying to get a big free agent or two. And so the players that are there now could say, oh, they don't care about me. They care about trying to get Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard next summer but they're all in on 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 playing playing well right now and i think that's impressive and I, I think doc deserves a lot of credit for that so if i'm a conspiracy theorist and i'm trying to come up with reasons as to why the clippers are doing as well as they, i could say this is the jerry west bump maybe it's <laughs> west, you know taking a keen eye to that roster and, and making some suggestions about what they do or lee jenkins bump perhaps jenkins bump. <laughs> yeah it could be it could be the fact that they're they're taking an outside the box look <laughs> at their team and franchise, and maybe that's what's led to them being such a competitive group when we expect <laughs> maybe less of them. I mean, what what gives? I mean, this doesn't happen in the NBA. I mean, Memphis is doing it a little bit right now, but they've got Mark Gasol and Mike Conley. So they've got some some holdover all-star caliber talent that's leading them right now. I don't have any explanation for how the Clippers are doing this. And the thing is, they've played a tough schedule. They've done it through a tough schedule. There are 17 teams that are over 500, and the Clippers have played the most games within that group. They're getting by by beating. Like, they beat Brooklyn the other day, but that's basically, that's only one of their three games that they've played against teams that have losing records, you know? So it's not like they're just getting by uh, against bad teams and they, and they are, they've had close games. Like I said, they've had close games. So the point differential doesn't scream at you, but a win is a win. And we've talked about how many win. you know, like you need to have a certain amount of wins through your first 20 games to, right. to really start think to think that you have a shot at the playoffs and, and the Clippers are, are there. They're, they're getting there. This isn't just a Clippers twilight zone. This isn't a top five of the power rankings. <laughs> the Bucks are two. The Trailblazers are three. The Raptors are four, and they've been good all year, of course, and, and they're coming off a huge season. In Oklahoma City, who was dead in the water the first four games of the year, they're 10 and five and fifth. Now, that's a team that has taken advantage of a light schedule, but they've won 10 of their last 11. Um, they have the best record in November, the best point differential uh, per 100 possessions in November. And they've done that with, with Russell Westbrook having missed, I think, the last seven games. So their schedule is about to get tough, a little bit tougher, um, but they're also about to get Westbrook back. So, you know, we'll see how they go. But like I said, they're taking advantage of a soft schedule, but you can only play the teams in front of you and they've taken care of business, um, which is important. 
The other freaky part about this shoe is that we spent all this time talking about the other team that plays in Staples Center. And with good reason. LeBron James is having a, a typical LeBron James-like season statistically. 16 years in shoe, going off for 51 points in his old stomping grounds in Miami, showing you that Father Time is undefeated except for the fight that he has not taken up yet with one LeBron Raymond James. I, I don't even know how we're supposed to explain LeBron to people 20 years from now who won't have been alive when he was in his prime. I tweeted some about this earlier. I spent a lot of time telling my kids, my sons who are basketball fanatics, about Michael Jordan because they weren't alive during his prime. So, I, you know, they've been able to watch videos, see footage of him doing all his stuff, but it's not the same as watching it live in real time. And I'm wondering, what will that conversation be like in 20 years when we're trying to explain LeBron being able to play at this level, this deep into his career it's going to sound like urban legend. It's going to sound like foolishness. Trying to tell somebody that LeBron was going out, getting 50, 16 years into his career, and shooting six of eight from three and doing all this stuff. At, you know, at almost, he's 34 years old. I mean, I, it, it boggles the mind to me that LeBron could still perform like this when all of his contemporaries, all the guys who came into the league with him, are, are getting knocked out. They, I mean, they're taking TKOs from Father Time. How is LeBron just a mutant? I mean, is it just is he just that ultimate outlier in every way when you look at his performance at this stage of his career? I can't explain it. I mean, the guy doesn't get hurt. We've talked about like his minutes over the course of his career compared to anybody else in the league over that time. He's basically played like an extra three seasons if you just look at minutes played since he came to the league uh, 15 years ago. I think he's with this Lakers team, he's starting to take a little bit more control uh, offensively. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah, I think so. The last two games have been uh, his highest usage rates of the season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the 51, he had, I forget what it was, 40-something two games earlier. And their defense has been better. Tyson Chandler has helped them defensively. Their defense has been at its best with Chandler on the floor. And it's been actually at its best with Chandler and LeBron on the floor together. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, that's about size and obviously experience. And they're there, you know, they're in that big pack of Western Conference teams that it's hard to make much sense of at this point you know there's just a lot of teams that have had ups and downs already through 15 games or so the Spurs are another one that are up and down inconsistent on either end on both ends of the floor and so I you know we still need (laughs) I feel like we still need a a, another couple weeks before we really start to figure out this Western Conference and maybe maybe we need more longer than that too. You mentioned the Warriors, you know, being the the championship favorites. Right now, they look like anything but shoe. Um, they're playing without Stephen Curry and Draymond Green, facing some adversity that we haven't seen from them in quite some time. I think it would be silly of us to panic. But is it kind of nice to have them come back to earth a little bit? Does that provide a little more intrigue? You think? Just in terms of maybe we can imagine. You know, you can start thinking about a conference finals where they don't go in as the runaway favorite, or maybe there's, you know, thicker competition for them in the finals this year from the Eastern Conference representative than we might have imagined. I don't want to make too much of it, but I've been listening to Steve Kerr talk about his team and what state they're in right now and, and, you know, kind of how their spirit's been broken a little bit. It's interesting. You can't even blame this all on Draymond Green, his dust up with KD and I mean, this is bigger than one instance. This seems like there's kind of a chink in, in, in the armor, if you would, you know, in terms of the makeup of this Warriors team. They're not getting that strength in numbers production that they relied on so heavily, in, you know, in years past. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, obviously, if they're at their best, they're head and shoulders above everybody else. And if, if there's any time to be playing your worst basketball of the last five years, it's in mid-November, right? <laughs> right. But they've just created more questions that they now have to go answer between now and April. They've taken a step backward. They have more work to do than probably we expect we thought they would have to do. Sure. And that includes, you know, integrating DeMarcus Cousins when he's when he gets healthy. I forgot. Yeah, they are playing with without Cousins as well. Basically, they've been playing a, a lot of games without Curry and, and Green. So and Curry, we've said it before, is their most important player as far as their, their offensive flow and, and, you know, getting them into their offense and creating the havoc among the opponents in the opponent's defense that that gets guys open and without him and then without green playmaking you know you're going to see Durant and Thompson have to do a little bit more with the ball than than they would if everybody was healthy but I think there's there's questions about their depth you know Quinn Cook has been really good but other than that their bench hasn't been great and so like I said I think they just have uh you know if they get it all together, I mean, we're not going to pick again. We're not going to pick against them. But they just have—it's like they've taken a step backward and have now more ground to make up, you know, over the next sixty-five games than we probably than you know we would have expected. You know, we would expect them to be in a different spot right now. Obviously, the the one part of the conversation where the Warriors is you know are concerned as a group shoe, and you've made this point to me in the past, and I've kind of pushed back on it. It's about Steph. I'm convinced now more than ever. I don't care if he's the MVP or not of the league. He's clearly the MVP, the MIP of that Warriors team. They truly are a different monster when Steph is at his best, even more so during the regular season than when you don't have Kevin Durant. I was, I used to fight against that. I used to always be one of these proponents of, well, whoever the best player is, that's the, the center of your team. That's the guy that serves as the bellwether for your team. I still think Durant is their most dynamic player because of his size and scoring ability, obviously. But I think it's without question, Steph's importance to this team has been highlighted during this stretch more than ever, you know, than I can remember it happening previously. Just in terms of that spirit that Steve Kerr is talking about being broken, that doesn't occur when when Steph's healthy and in the lineup. There's something about his presence that that floats this thing for the Warriors. And, you know, the offensive numbers are obvious. You know, you're missing a 30-point score when he's not in the lineup. But it's it's more than that. It's it's the the flow and the fact that Clay can be at his best when Steph is cooking. And that Durant can still play his best basketball with Steph in the mix. Without he and Draymond in the mix, they just seem like they're missing that backbone of what they do as a group, you know, on both ends of the floor. They just don't – they don't look like they're in sync to me at all without Steph right now and with – also with Draymond struggling with, with what he's been struggling with. Yeah, they – um there's always been a huge drop-off in their offensive numbers when with Curry off the floor. Mm-hmm. And that continued in the two the first two seasons with Durant. It was always like you know they were basically ten to twelve points per one hundred possessions better offensively with Curry on the floor than they are with him off the floor. In fact, like through um, just maybe a week ago, that number wasn't such a it wasn't such a big drop off um, with Curry off the floor. But I think these last few games now you're going to see that you know that that drop off number has increased quite a bit. 
we've said it before, like he, his ability to shoot off the dribble just is the, the key to their offense and would be the key to any offense in the league, basically, because it just messes with defenses, defensive schemes. And then his ability to then give up the ball when he doesn't have a shot, to give up the ball and just keep moving, where that you know, the gravity that he has where defenses have to keep track of him. And if they don't, this team is such a good passing team that they find him and he's open and he shoots off the catch. And that's even better than him shooting off the dribble. I think Durant can be a more important player in certain matchups. And with LeBron, I think that was the case. The ability, in addition to having Iguodala defending LeBron, to have Durant, a seven-footer to put in front of Le- an agile seven-footer to put in front of LeBron for X amount of possessions per game, makes Durant have a, a additional value uh, beyond what he has over the 82 games. But I think over the 82 games, Curry is their most important player just for... Um, what he provides for them offensively. And then uh, I think we don't give him enough credit defensively. He doesn't hurt them defensively. I mean, they've been uh, obviously a great defensive team for more than the Steve, you know, beyond the Steve Curry era, even when Mark Jackson was the coach and and Curry was an element to that. You know, he does, he's not the best guard defender in the league, but he's certainly not the worst either. One uh, point of correction, Kevin Durant will swear to you that he's not a seven footer. I want to clarify that to make sure you, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I have a another team that is kind of got me scratching my head, shoe. That's the Boston Celtics. Big win over the Raptors. Showcase game Friday night under the lights, a whole nine yards. Two powerhouses supposed to be in the Eastern Conference. Kyrie looks great in that win over the Raptors. They show you what, you know, they sh- the Celtics have a tendency this season to kind of play up to certain moments and then struggle in the aftermath. They struggled mightily in their next night out. The Jazz blew them up. I mean, lit them up when I was watching. It was ridiculous. How, how poorly they look. I don't know if it's a, a letdown game so much. It was just, I didn't expect them to struggle as much as they did with the Jazz after looking as good as they did against the Raptors. Am, am I missing something with the Celtics in terms of they have yet to work through whatever it is Brad Stevens was going to have to figure out with his rotation, given all the talent they have and all the bodies they have back and the need to make sure that each one of those guys has a very specific role in what they're doing? It's a good question. I, I think the question of whether they need to break up their starting lineup is valid. And um, I might favor, I might, vote in favor of yes. Kyrie Irving had 43 and 11 assists in that Raptors win to sort of give the offense a ton of punch. Um, but like off, you know, they've obviously came out of the gate slow offensively. They've got the number one defense in the league, but they rank 27th offensively. And it's just been micro baby steps basically mm-hmm. with the offense cited this in, in power rankings. They haven't scored more efficiently than the league average in two straight games all year. So basically, you know, they had an efficient game against the Raptors, but then they had a rough offensive game against the Jazz. So basically, they haven't been able to put two good offensive games together all season. And we talked about this previously, like they rank 30th in the percentage of their shots that come from the paint. They rank 29th in free throw rate. And those numbers, I the last I looked, are worse with their starting lineup together on the floor than they are overall. So it's like they they settle for jump shots too much, especially that starting lineup. It's a it's a ridiculously skilled starting lineup, but it's perimeter oriented, and so it's just a lot of jump shots, not enough attacking, not enough getting to the line. Gordon Hayward obviously doesn't have everything back, still getting his legs under him, um, doesn't have like the explosion. 
And Jalen Brown has had a rough start. He's not shooting it well at all. No, he's got effective field goal percentage of 41%, which is down from 54%. Only a few players have had a bigger drop-off from last season to this season so far. So he's another one that's got an issue. I would... I mean, I would. Hayward has said he can. He's willing to come off the bench. I would think about a Baines uh, for Hayward's swap. The Baines Horford uh, front line is is more of a defensive front line, but Baines will get you some offensive rebounds. Baines will, Baines will set some screens and and allow you maybe to get into the paint a little bit more. So I would think about it, or if not, just you know do the you know sub real early in the first and third quarters so that you can get more mix and match lineups in there and 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 see if that helps but too many jumpers basically this team is selling for you know they have the skill to win that to win that way for, uh, uh, on occasion but um, they need to be able to get to the paint and the defense you know has been terrific but if they have a goal of of getting to the finals which i assume they do they have to they just have to get better offensively and it, it hasn't really happened yet if i'm looking for a thunder player to include in the key race to the mvp ladder on friday Oh, it's got to be Paul George. I mean, he's been Is fantastic. it fair that, that we swap PG for, for Russ, like put, put Paul George in there? Absolutely. I mean, he's been he's been terrific on both ends of the floor. I mean, he is one of the best two-way players in the league. Had a fun little stat. So they've been a, a great defensive team basically for the last few weeks, you know, basically mm-hmm. since that 0-4 start. But their offense is starting to pick up of late, um, even without Westbrook. And part of that is the strength of schedule, which we noted. But uh, George has scored 30-plus, 30 30- points or more in three straight games for the first time since he came to OKC from Indiana. So that was, I thought that was interesting. It's the first, you know, his last three games, he scored 30 or more when it's the first time he's done that with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. And then Steven Adams has averaged a little over 20 points per game over his last five. And that's the first time in his career that he has averaged 20 in a five game stretch. So those guys are, you know, the anchors to their defense, but also um, starting to pick up their offensive production a little bit. And Schroeder has, has filled in pretty well. And, and, you know, the bench minutes have not been good. If you look at George's on off numbers, it's because the bench is bad. And I guess that makes it an even stronger case for him to be on your, uh, MVP list because when he's gone off the floor, they've had they've they've struggled a bit, but they've been good enough to win. I, I forget, I think it's ten of the last eleven, which puts them right in right into it. Yeah, in that, in that West mix as well. Shout out to Dennis Schroeder, by the way. I did not know how that experiment would work. I mean, we still don't know if he can play with Russ with we Westbrook don't. too. But he's know? been really good for them for what they've needed yeah. to be at this point. Um, and again, we're fifteen games in. You never know how a season twists and turns, but. But so far, so good. I know this is a big deal to some people. The West just dominating the East in interconference games, twelve and two last week, forty nine and twenty five on the season. I'm not. I don't care. But I mean, it's it. I, mean, I don't care because I know it doesn't matter. Once you get to the finals, it's it's those two specific teams against each other, and right. it doesn't. You know, it doesn't denote. But it, it's just gonna. Players. This is the. You know, this is the. Basically, the West winning percentage now is the be- their best of the last 20 years. And they have had a better record than the East in, in games bet- between the two conferences in 18 of the last 19 seasons. Right. Um, and this is, you know, it's early. But right now, we're looking at the most dominant they've ever been, the West has ever been. And that just affects the playoff races. I mean, you're yeah. going to have West teams with winning records that don't make the playoffs. You're going to have an East team, uh, if things continue the way they are, you're going to have maybe – two East teams with losing records that do make the playoffs. 
And that's just going to, you know, once we get to February and March, you're going to hear those calls for a 16, you know, one through 16 yeah. playoff fo- uh, format. We hear them no matter what, but yeah, you're right. Loud, yeah, but just going to hear them louder and, and more frequent if this sort of discrepancy continues. Sure. Your team of the week, the Houston Rockets, had a nice 3-0 week after parting ways with Melo, which, boy, I hate for people to start connecting those dots again. Like, all you got to do is call the exterminator and get Melo out of the way and everything is fine. <laughs> but I, I do agree that there's something, you know, something about Melo these days that he either he's got the worst timing ever or he's not seeing the writing on the wall that the league is is telling him something about his game, the way he plays, and the fact that it's just not – you don't build with that anymore. You don't build with players that play his style so focused on one end and, and so unfocused on the other. But is it something about Melo in particular, maybe just the specific player and person that he is that it's not – I'm serious, that it's just maybe not – a fit for him in today's NBA. He should be able to play spot minutes and, and offer you something. But the question yeah. is whether he's whether uh, able to accept that. As far as the Rockets are like we talked, we've talked about Melo <laughs> enough. And I, I mean, I yeah. hope he lands on it. I mean, I hope. I mean, I like the guy. I hope he he lands somewhere and and goes out the way he wants to go out. Yes. But as far as the Rockets are concerned, you know, there's some coincidence in their winning streak, and there's uh, you know, there's some correlation i think mm-hmm. um you know chris paul has shot ridiculously well from the from three-point range over the last few ga- last five games james harden has been getting to the line more than almost as, as much as he ever has over the last five games and Melo's departure also coincided with eric gordon returning from a three-game absence so right but and the thing is the funny thing is if you look at where they've been ridiculously good is on the minutes where either Chris Paul or Harden is on the bench and the other one is on the floor um and those are the Eric Gordon minutes and those are the uh, more but those are also the minutes that Carmelo is no longer there those end of the first quarter start of the second quarter end of the third quarter start of the fourth so there's like i said there's some you know, uh, Mello isn't making Chris Paul shoot better and Mello isn't getting James Harden to the line more, but their success in bench minutes where they have one of those guys on the floor and the opponent does not and the opponent has, has most of its reserves on the floor. That's where the Rockets really took advantage last year and I think they're starting to do it now um, in these last several games. They, they've won four straight and they have the best offense in the league over that four-game winning streak. So they are sort of – they seem to be uh, – returning returning to form right there's a couple things i want to finish up with you here thanksgiving week so we're going to give everybody a chance to fatten up on turkey and all the fixings on thursday we'll see you back here on the monday after thanksgiving we're gonna take a little hiatus for the holiday shoot i don't i don't know if i want to pull my hair out what little i have left or just ignore these reports about dave yeager being on the hot seat in sacramento i mean they finally look like they're turning a corner and becoming a competitive team. And then we hear the rumblings about, you know, Jaeger wanting to win now and play the group he's playing and the franchise leadership wanting to see more of Marvin Bagley III and what he can do. I mean, don't they understand that if you do it right and you're winning now, Marvin Bagley becomes an asset as you continue to do that as opposed to scrapping whatever progress you're making in the name of we got to showcase – this, you know, this rookie we selected so high in the draft and we want to see what he can do. It's like, it'll come if, if you continue to win. He's going to have an opportunity to play his way into their rotation. I don't know what the 
the he is in there. He is in the rotation. Right, he plays, he plays regular minutes, twenty, role, you yeah. know, eighteen to twenty or something a night. Right. Um, right. They're still they the the Kings lead the league in the percentage of their minutes that have been played by first or second year players. So they're still playing young guys. And, you know, Zach Randolph ain't playing, you know, he's been on the inactive list, I think, basically since the start of the season. Right. So they're still playing and they just have so many young guys. And it's like, man, the Kings were six and three. Can't they be happy with six and three? Like this is a team <laughs> that's missed the playoffs. Is it 13, 12 or 13 Forever. straight years? Yeah. Like, can't they be happy with six and three? Even now, no. eight and eight, can't they be happy with eight and eight? Like, no. come on. Seeing clear development in De'Aaron Fox, seeing Buddy Heald. Buddy, Buddy yeah. um, they just got uh, my man Bogdanovich back a few games ago. Bagley's been good. Like, I like watching him, but he's, he is skilled. Like, yeah, he's, he's super skilled. Got, he's got he's great hands, good footwork. He can, he can, Score around the basket. Um, he's he he's going to be really good. So I don't like. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't need your your nineteen year old or eighteen year old whatever to be playing twenty five like thirty minutes right away. Like, man, give this guy some time. Like, I st- you know I I still think like their offense is is too mid range heavy and that's been a problem under Jaeger. But I can't argue with the results. Like nobody expected this team to be eight and eight at this point. You know, and they they beat some good teams. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand. I think this it. is a big week. Like, if this is real, like if this, if they're really like thinking about, you know, I think this is a big week for the Kings. They play the Jazz twice, and the Jazz are right there with them, tied eight. You know, eight and eight. Right. They play. They start the week with the Thunder. Um, that's a big game, and that's a good test for the the sort of the Thunder that have been getting by against a soft schedule. And then they also play at Golden State. So they play Oklahoma City at Utah at Golden State, then versus Utah. So it's a big week for the Kings. If if like if for them to sort of stay relevant, you know, and then yeah. like because once they become ir- irrelevant, you know, once they go to they go from if they go from eight eight and eight to ten and sixteen or something like that. Um, we're writing them off. We're going yeah, right back there. Right. So, um, you know, I would love for them to stay in that sort of Western conference, you know, uh, within a game or two of 500 pack for as long as possible. And so I think this is a big week for them. Yeah. Um, finally, and this should come from the, uh, no surprise category. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN is reporting as the wizards, season continues to spiral out of completely out of control that they've now made it clear to teams or at least giving the impression to the rest of the league that John Wall and Bradley Beal could be available via trade based on the discussions people are having. And, you know, and this is, again, all being reported by, by Woj at ESPN. Was this the inevitable? Sure. Yes. We've talked about, we've talked about it already. <laughs> you know, we've talked about what they could possibly do to shake things up. Beal is probably the, the, the guy every other team would love to have. Wall has got an, is it onerous or onerous? Onerous, right? Contract going forward. And Otto Porter has just been a disappointment, um, especially this season. So, and Kelly Oubre too hasn't really, you know, lived up to his potential. I was a little worried. Like I, I look at them, and they've been bad. Like they took a small, they they won three straight straight games, but then they lost to at home to the to the Nets and the Blazers over the weekend. Right. The thing is, they're in the East. Like you know, they could go. They could be just. They could be meandering along like just like this until until mid January, and then like. They could always say, "Hey, we go, 
you know, eight and two over our next 10 and we're, we're in seventh place, you know, like, it's like, I'm, so I'm, I was a little worried that like they, they, in the East, they just always have the carrot of, you know, Hey, we're only X amount of games out of seventh place or sixth place. Cause there's really only five teams in the East that are good right now. But like, if they're, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want them to shake it up. Cause I like that. I like those players. And I, I'm, it's just more of a disappointment that they haven't lived up to their potential. They haven't played, Right. Um, together enough, you know, they haven't made them, they haven't. It hasn't worked like it should. What's the expression that the whole is much less than the sum of the parts or something like that, you know, that's, <laughs> but yeah, it's good that they, they realize that something's not working and that they need to uh, shake it up. And the question is how feasible is that? And given the contract status of all those guys. Well, here's to everybody getting a chance to spend their Thanksgiving in the same place they started this season. Let's let's hope that there's some stability between now and Black Friday. You can do anything you want after thing. I mean, if you well, want let's, to be, let's be thankful that the Warriors, the, the Wizard, the excuse me, the Wolves did finally uh, yes, <laughs> yes, put 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 us out of our our collective misery with the by trading Jimmy Butler last. Yes, week. and we'll and we'll we'll go deep on the Sixers in the coming weeks. I want to give that a little more time to play out before we talk to somebody who's up close and personal to that situation and can break it down for us. Be sure to check out the full rankings at nba.com slash power rankings. John Schumann's handiwork every Monday, grading and evaluating the top teams in the league, one through 30. He goes through them all on his NBA power rankings every week. We'll be back next Monday with another uh, episode of the Hangtime Podcast. We're off for Thanksgiving. Enjoy your families. Be good to each other. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Make sure you leave a review. Shout out my man, Clipper Daryl Jr., John Schumann, on Twitter all week with the Clippers at number one on his power ranks. When I saw it, again, I thought you were kidding, Shoe. Now I know that, th- you know, crazy things do happen. I don't ever remember the Clippers being number one in the power rankings in the time I've been paying attention. It probably has happened. I think it's probably happened. But I, this this was a stunner. I'll have to go back and look. But Yeah, to see them in there. For Shoe, I'm Seku Smith, our producer John Hartzell in Atlanta. We'll see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast.